Thank you for listening to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast. The iCritical Care Podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. Your host is the Society's Associate Editor for Podcasts, Dr. Richard Savell. Dr. Savell is the Associate Director of the Surgical Intensive Care Unit at Mamadi's Medical Center in Brooklyn, New York. He also is an Assistant Professor of Medicine at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care Podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email info at sccm.org. Welcome to the iCritical Care Podcast for August 1st, 2005. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Savell. In today's podcast, we will discuss an article from the August 2005 edition of Critical Connections, with the continued focus being on the critically ill cancer patient, beginning with pharmaceutical dilemmas in the ICU cancer patient. This discussion is based on an article written by Todd Canada, PharmD, BCNSP, from the University of Texas, MD Anderson Cancer Center, Houston, Texas, USA. Providing appropriate pharmacologic interventions to the critically ill cancer patient can often be a great challenge to the multiprofessional critical care team. In this article, some of those problems are addressed, and general considerations for medical selection in this subpopulation of critically ill patients are provided. One such problem is that patients with malignancy are excluded from most clinical trials of the critically ill, providing little evidence-based guidance to the critical care practitioner. Absorption of medications can also be a problem, as it can be highly variable depending on the route of the drug and the overall clinical status of the patient. As an example, low molecular weight heparin, a commonly used ICU drug, may have only about one-third of the anti-10A activity if the ICU patient is on pressors compared with patients not requiring pressors. Similar absorption issues can come up regarding GCSF and GMCSF. Malabsorption is another pharmacokinetic consideration in these patients, often related to the associated hypoalbuminemia. This can affect the binding of certain drugs, such as phenytoin. Though most critically ill cancer patients have some form of central venous access, thereby alleviating many issues of drug delivery, these catheters represent potential sources of infection especially in the cancer patient who can be immunocompromised for many reasons, including neutropenia. In addition, these central venous catheters present intravenous incompatibility issues with certain drugs. Important drugs in cancer patients such as acyclovir, amphotericin B, furosemide, and gancyclovir are incompatible with a wide range of other medications. Though nasogastric tubes are commonly placed for delivery of enteral nutrition and drugs, as well as for providing gastric decompression in the critically ill patient. This fairly routine ICU procedure can sometimes be a challenge, given the risk of bleeding or trauma seen in the critically ill cancer patient with their associated increased prevalence of thrombocytopenia and mucositis. The critically ill cancer patient often has problems with absorption via the GI tract as well. Most of the time, this is related to rapid transit secondary to severe diarrhea, radiation enteritis, graft-versus-host disease, previous surgical resection, or the presence of a jejunostomy or an ileostomy. A discussion of pharmaceutical dilemmas in the ICU cancer patient would not be complete without at least a mention of the tumor lysis syndrome. In this particular context, this syndrome, 
often seen following chemotherapy for high-grade lymphoproliferative malignancies can be a cause of renal failure. Rasburicase, a recombinant urate oxidase, has significantly decreased the incidence of uric acid nephropathy. As in most critically ill patients, the ICU cancer patient often has very complex issues surrounding the appropriate choice of drug, the amount of drug to be prescribed, and the best route to deliver the agent. In addition, given the dynamic nature of critical care, what may be an acceptable dose and route today may either be overdosing or underdosing the patient tomorrow. As such, the role of daily multidisciplinary critical care rounds, preferably with a dedicated ICU pharmacist, cannot be overemphasized. Next up, discussion of the topic nutritional management of the hematopoietic stem cell transplant recipient in the intensive care unit. This is based on an article in the August 2005 issue of Critical Connections by Sarah Bergerson, R.D., and Brad Moriyama, PharmD, both at the Clinical Center, National Institutes of Health, Bethesda, Maryland, USA. Hematopoietic stem cell transplant is becoming an increasingly common treatment option for a variety of diseases, including lymphoma, leukemia, and multiple myeloma, with an estimated 50,000 recipients a year worldwide. Conditioning regimens and subsequent immunosuppression can cause multiple serious complications, including infection, graft-versus-host disease, veno-occlusive disease of the liver, as well as pulmonary, metabolic, and nutritional abnormalities. If the course becomes complex, these patients may require management in the intensive care unit with a coordinated approach necessary to optimize nutritional status. As with any critically ill patient, nutritional support for the hematopoietic stem cell transplant patient focuses on three major areas. Calories to meet energy needs, adequate protein to reduce nitrogen loss, and achieving fluid and electrolyte balance. The standard provision of 25 kilocalories per kilogram of usual body weight is adequate for the hematopoietic stem cell transplant recipient. However, higher calorie intake may be necessary when the patient is experiencing fever, a systemic infection, severe diarrhea, or skin breakdown. Given the complexities of determining proper nutrition in these patients, indirect calorimetry is recommended to prevent over- or underfeeding. Nitrogen loss should be minimized, though this can often be quite difficult. Some specific guidelines regarding protein are as follows. With normal organ function, protein goal should be 1.2 to 1.5 grams per kilogram per day. The high end of those values should be used with severe stress, graft-versus-host disease, large intestinal loss, and fever. Protein intake should be reduced to 0.6 to 1.2 grams per kilogram per day with renal or hepatic dysfunction. In a patient who is receiving continuous renal replacement therapy, protein needs should be increased up to 1.5 to 2 grams per kilogram per day. Next, we will discuss the role of total parenteral nutrition, or TPN, in the hematopoietic stem cell transplant recipient. TPN has been a mainstay of nutritional support in the hematopoietic stem cell transplant recipient. In a systematic review of studies involving bone marrow transplant patients, the use of standard TPN was generally not found to be associated with improved clinical outcomes. One notable exception occurred in a prospective study of 137 patients who were randomized to either TPN or a no-TPN group by Weisdorf et al. They found that patients receiving short-term TPN 
had increased long-term survival more than six months, decreased rate of tumor relapse, and increased energy intake when compared with the no-TPN control group. Although there have been no studies specifically looking at the role of TPN in the critically ill patient who has undergone a hematopoietic stem cell transplant, these patients often require TPN during the cytoreduction, cytopenic, and engraftment process of transplantation. Transplant protocol medications such as amphotericin B, corticosteroids, cyclosporin, tacrolimus, serolimus, foscarnate, and trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole can cause serious electrolyte abnormalities, as well as affect macronutrient tolerance. Please see Table 1 of the printed version of Critical Connections for specifics of the electrolyte and macronutrient abnormalities. In addition, TPN needs to be adjusted during transplant complications, such as hepatic veno-occlusive disease and acute GI graft-versus-host disease. Unfortunately, enteral nutrition is often poorly tolerated in the hematopoietic stem cell transplant patient given the symptoms we have discussed previously, such as mucositis, esophagitis, sinusitis, ileus, delayed gastric emptying, and large output diarrhea. Dual feeding with a combination of parenteral and low-dose enteral nutrition at approximately 10 cc's per hour of isotonic feeds may be possible and of some benefit in selected patients. As the patient recovers and an oral diet is introduced, it is often difficult to meet the caloric and protein needs without commercial oral supplementation. The role of glutamine remains unclear in these patients and currently is not recommended as a standard of care. Acute gastrointestinal graft-versus-host disease is a post-transplant complication that is treated with bowel rest and TPN when stool volume and abdominal pain are severe. At the point when the patient can tolerate PO nutrition, a slow, stepwise dietary progression is recommended as diarrhea and cramping resolve. Please see the printed version of Critical Connections Table 2 for details of the graft-versus-host disease nutrition plan. Appropriate nutritional management is an integral part of the supportive care of the critically ill hematopoietic stem cell transplant recipient, and it should be customized with the goal of optimizing the nutritional status of the patient while at the same time not overloading the lungs, immune system, or the metabolic milieu. Further research is required to better elucidate the nutritional needs of this complex patient population. This concludes our podcast for August 1st, 2005. Look for future podcasts featuring a wide variety of information important to critical care practitioners, including interviews with authors and discussions with prominent members of the critical care community. Critical Connections is the official bi-monthly news magazine of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, offering the latest information about critical care to healthcare professionals. Members of the Society of Critical Care Medicine receive a free subscription as well as other benefits. For more information, visit www.sccm.org. Thanks again for listening. Registration is now open for SCCM's 35th Critical Care Congress to be held January 21st to 25th, 2006 in the birthplace of jazz, New Orleans, Louisiana. Learn innovative treatments in critical care as well as fundamental business practices to improve your ICU environment, all developed by a multi-professional team of critical care experts. Register today by speaking with a SCCM customer service representative 
at 1-847-827-6888 or visit www.sccm.org. Don't miss out on this unsurpassed educational opportunity.